Today's scripture reading comes from Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. I'll give some time for people to flip there in their scriptures. Otherwise, you can join us in the reading of scripture on the screen ahead of you. Hear the reading of God's word. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. Likewise, Titus, older men, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. Good morning, everybody. Uh, as you might have noticed, if you are a long-term attender or a member at Cornerstone, that I am not Andrew. Um, my name is Dan, if we haven't had the pleasure to meet. Uh, it's so nice to meet you. And for those who are new here, we are so thankful you are here. You know, one of my favorite authors, Rosaria Butterfield, writes, like, you don't know the journey in which someone had to walk in order to be uh, here on Sunday. So if you are here, if you are with us, we're so glad you are here, and uh, we're so glad you could join us for worship. Um, again, my name is Dan, and I'm just a regular member, and as we'll see in the sermon, there is no such thing as just, but I'm a member here at Cornerstone, and um, uh, I was a seminary trained, and the elders have uh, given me the great privilege and uh, honor to be able to preach this morning. Preaching is still a passion of mine, and so be able to do that is a great honor. And so um, please join me in prayer before we open up God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are the God who, before the heavens and the earth were formed, you had us in mind. And you knew that we would stray. You knew that we would sin against you to turn to the Holy One and say, we want nothing to do with you. And yet, you still move heaven and earth to be with us. And you call us your treasured possession. Help us to remember that as we hear the things we're about to hear, that it comes from a God who loves us, it comes from a God who cares for us. It comes from a God who sees us as his treasured possession and calls us to grow into such. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many of you have heard about the Titanic, right? The, the ti Titanic. Uh, many of you heard about the Titanic. It was this giant ship. It was declared, you know, the unsinkable ship until disaster struck and it sunk and it killed 1,500 people. And one of the most you know, fascinating stories I found about this is that there is a survivor. His name was Charles Joffin. He was the chief baker on the Titanic. And he, on the night that the Titanic crashed, he had one too many to drink. And instead of panicking and, and running to the lifeboats like everyone else, he instead opted to tell all of the bakers, grab food and take it to the lifeboats. And then he went back to his room and had another drink. Don't know why. He went out to the top of the ship and then he proceeded to grab all the chairs and toss them overboard so that people could use them as life rafts. And then he rescued, and we use that term rescued lightly, because then he picked up the women and children and proceeded to toss them overboard because they were too scared to jump into the lifeboats below. So he did it for them. And then finally, when the boat was sinking, he gently, slowly, calmly entered the freezing water, doggy paddling for three hours before finally finding something to float on himself and survived. And when I heard this, I was like, this is my new favorite story. 
right? This is my new favorite story. This person who uh, is a very interesting person who chose not to think about himself, but chose to think of others and ultimately ended up surviving. And the story goes that the reason why Charles Joffin survived was because he had drank so much alcohol that he could not feel the freezing water. His body was so hot, he couldn't feel that. And I was like, this story gets better. Until I made the mistake of telling Dr. Edmund Moon. Because Dr. Edmund Moon, a medical doctor, looked at me and said, Dan, sorry, that's not possible. right? Because alcohol actually dilates the blood vessels and it would actually cause you to freeze much faster. And I was like, thanks, Edmund. Appreciate it. <laughs> you, know, um, there, you know, but even though Dr. Edmund Moon, I've never seen his medical degree, but, you know, <laughs> self-proclaimed Dr. Edmund Moon says, no, this is true. I, there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to believe it because I like this story. I like it. I want it to be true. And the reason why I say this is a little bit more sobering is because, you know, today we're going to be talking about things that are difficult, things that uh, may contradict maybe some of the way that we grew up and may rub against some of the way that we do life today. And the reason I tell the story is because was Edmund trying to embarrass me and make me feel small? Yes. No, I'm kidding. No, no. But it was out of love that he corrected me, out of love that he said, please don't tell that story to other medical people. I don't want them thinking you're a fool. And, and kind, not the same way, but, you know, what we hear, what we hear preached today, uh, it comes from love, it comes from a God who cares deeply for his church. And so what am I talking about? I'm talking about the main idea for today's sermon, which is, our personal maturity matters because of the younger people around us. Our personal maturity matters because of the younger people around us. And I want to do this in three points. First is our personal maturity. Second point is our personal maturity matters because of the younger people around us. This is pretty, it's long, but it should be hopefully easy to memorize. Again, our personal maturity, our personal maturity matters because of the younger people around us. And the third point, how Jesus gives us grace for both of those things. So, first point, our personal maturity. Now, when you read this, and I'll read it one more time just so that we re-familiarize ourselves. Uh, in verses 2 and 3, Paul writes to Titus, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness. Older women to be revenant in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. And he gives this list, and I think part of the holdup might be here that when you hear the word older, there's a maybe a temptation, I'm not sure, possibly, to kind of zone out. Like, oh, okay, this is for the older. And so it's possible that the youth students are like, oh, okay, these are for my parents. You know, these are for the older people. And it's possible that maybe if you're single, you're a young adult, you're like, oh, okay, it's for those guys on this side of the congregation. And then for the older people, you might be thinking like, what older people? You know, and um, eh, bad joke, sorry. Yeah, but, um, but this idea, like, who is the older? Who is the older here? And Paul doesn't define what older means. He doesn't say older is a certain age, older is a certain life. He says older. And I'm going to propose something here. I'll explain a little bit later. But older here, I believe, is going to mean every member of the church, right? Older here is going to mean every member of the church. And if you're a member of the church and there's someone younger than you, then you're part of the older. Now, obviously, there's tears if you're older older, then, you know, there are people that are younger, but still, this means that no one who is a member is excluded from this call. And what is the call here? What does he call the older men and older women to be? What does he call older men and older women to do? And he calls them in verses two and three to grow up, to mature. 
to, you know, we talk about this often in church, to be sanctified, to grow, to mature in godliness. He calls them to grow. Now, what's really interesting here, right? What's really interesting here is that earlier in Titus, in chapter one, Paul gives instructions to the elders, not the older, but to the elders in the church, the office of elders. You know, the people, for example, like Elder Moon, Elder Rock, to the elders. And in chapter one, verses five and on, he gives these qualifications. This is what the elders are to be. And I'll read it here. It's on the screen for you, right? He talks about, hey, you are to be God's stewards. You must be above reproach. The elders must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. They must not be a drunkard, violent, or greedy. They must be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction in it. And the reason I bring up this portion of Titus is because if you look at Titus 1, 5 through 9, the qualifications for the elders, and then we look at it side by side with what he calls the older men and women to be, what we find is that these lists are not that different. Now, I know some of you are squinting because you can't read it. Just I color-coded it for you, so hopefully it'd be easier to do. But these lists are not that different from one another. These lists are not that different from one another. As a matter of fact, they are more similar than they are unlike or not alike. And I'm not sure about you, but this terrifies me. This terrifies me. And the reason why is because he is saying that, look, you, the older men and women in the church, you are to grow up, you are to mature, to be no different in your quality of character than the elders. And this is why it's scary. Because I think to some degree, like I am fine with God telling us grow up to mature. And we say, yes, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then we look at the elders and we're like, but not like that. Because they're the holy ones, the elders. I'm good with God telling me to grow, to mature. And I say, yes, I will. But the elders are of like a different quality, of a different substance. They're the holy ones. And to some degree, I think I use that. I create this false distinction between regular members and elders as a way to prevent myself from ever actually having to grow up, from ever actually having to mature. You know, in the Marine Corps, they have this really interesting rule where you're not allowed to compliment using things such as you're a natural. You're not allowed to compliment using words like you're a natural. You're a natural leader. You're a natural born a soldier. You're not, you're not allowed to use that language. And the reason why they say is because when they complimented people using that kind of language, what it, that they saw was a, a people underperforming. They saw people start to underperform. And why is that? And they said, this is why. Because when you say things like you're a natural, you're a natural leader, what it created was this kind of weird distinction where people began to think like, oh, the leaders, they are naturally that way. They were born that way, not me. And so what began to happen was there's this kind of weird phenomenon where people would say, I'm just a regular guy. I'm just a regular girl, but they're the leaders, not me. And so they began to just say, excuse themselves and stop themselves from ever growing or trying or attempting to grow. And friends, I want to, ask this question gently, but is it possible that deep inside that we create these kinds of distinctions and we tell ourselves, I'm just a regular guy. I'm just a regular girl. I'm just a youth student. I'm just a high school kid. I'm just a college. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. 
And we use this to say, I'm just a regular member. I'm not an elder. And do we use that to then excuse ourselves from ever growing, maturing the way the Lord calls us to? See, Paul is clear. He says, look, the only difference in your quality of character, there is no difference in the quality of character between you and an elder. The only difference between an elder and everyone else in the church is our role, what we've been called to. Right? Elders called to, to teach, to, to help the congregation grow, the entire congregation grow and mature. The older men and women, as we'll see in a little bit, are called to something else. Now, and I'll explain in just a little bit. Now, <sighs> Paul here, this is a new church plan, right? Crete is a new church. It's filled with new Christians. They're figuring out what is church supposed to be like? Well, what, is, what is important for this church in Crete? And Paul says, First is the elders. Next, he goes for the older men, older men and older women in the church. And this is so important. He talks about it second, right after the organization, the structure, the leadership. Then he goes for the people in the church and he says, look, this is important that the older men and women grow up and mature. And we say, why? Why is that so important for Paul? And it takes us to our second point. Our maturity matters. Our personal maturity matters because of the younger people around us. Our personal maturity matters because of the younger people around us. Mark Bauerlein uh, authored a book called The Dumbest Generation. And uh, he writes in his book, you know, never before in history have 23-year-olds been able to reach the age of 23 so dominated by their own peers. Never before in history have 23-year-olds been able to reach the age of 23 surrounded by only people their age. And he says, to develop intellectually, to grow as a person, you need to be around older people, older things. And he says, a 17-year-old cannot grow up if they're hanging out with only 17-year-olds. There's a PhD graduate data scientist. His name is Seth, Seth Stephen Davidovitz. And he makes this interesting observation as a data scientist. He says, look, like the media has been obsessed with this idea of the young entrepreneur, the Mark Zuckerbergs who became wildly successful at the age of 19, built one of the big three you know, tech companies in the world. And they reported on young successful entrepreneurs and media was giving outrageous covering to these young successful entrepreneurs. And the world began to believe like, oh, young entrepreneur, that, that's, that's common. That could be me. And so we saw a huge rise in young entrepreneurs. But Seth said, but they didn't show the data, right? Instead, the media was doing what, you know, they sometimes do, which is to show what sells, what people like, what they want to read. And he says, if you look at the data, the hard data, a lot of young entrepreneurs actually fail because unfortunately, just by the nature of their age, just by the nature of their lack of experience, they don't know a lot about business. And he says the most successful demographic for entrepreneurs are middle-aged people. Now, I don't say this to disparage those who are younger to say like, yeah, young, you don't know anything. Not at all, not at all. The reason why I give these illustrations is because in the, in the education world, in the data science world, the data, they are just realizing what Paul has realized all along, which is what? That the older are critical. That the older are critical for the growth of our younger. And this is what we see in verses 3 and on. Older women, likewise, later on in chapter 3, they are to teach what is good, talking to the women. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, likewise, commanding Titus to do the same, urge the younger men, teach the younger men to be self-controlled. 
and you see this dynamic. You see this dynamic that the older, that the older, that the members in the church, we are called to grow up. We are called to mature, not because of you, not because of you. And this kind of goes against the face of so much of what Christianity can become, which is, oh, if I am growing, if I am growing spiritually, if I am maturing, then hallelujah, praise the Lord. That is the end game of Christianity. And Paul says, no, your personal growth, your maturity is not about you. It is meant to be in service of others, particularly the younger around you. Why are you called to grow? Why are you called to mature? It is for the younger people around you. Now, Paul is really clear. He doesn't say like, become mature, grow, and then hopefully the younger will just kind of absorb by osmosis, right? Like, oh, he's really holy. I'm going to be like that. You know, I, it doesn't say like, just hang around them and maybe they'll catch the holy fever. Like it, it says, no, this is intentional. This is love. This is care. This is teaching. This is explicit going and doing and caring for the younger around us. And, you know, it seems like, and again, I don't want to assume how you grew up or where you grew up or the churches you grew up in, but uh, for me and possibly for some of you, it seems like churches, instead of looking and seeking to do this, instead we divide. We divide, we divide, and we divide. We create a children's ministry. We create a youth group. We create a college group. We create a young adult group. We create a married group. And then we create an older married group. And we divide. And we create tribes out of these divisions. And yes, there's a lot to be practical about that. But in creating these tribes, rarely does anybody traverse the tribe to go speak to one another. Because the, the kind of the idea seems to be like we create our tribes, we grow with our tribes. And then the only people who ever cross these tribes are the workers the youth pastor and the youth volunteers, the college students, you know, who decide to help with the youth or, you know, or when we're forced together into awkward CG gatherings, right? Like, those are the only times that we're forced to actually interact with a different tribe. And Paul turns that on its head and says, no, we are called to grow, to mature. The older are called to grow and mature so that we can go and care and love the younger around us. Now, Earlier, I talked about how the, the older, that term older, like it means, uh, I, I'm going to propose that it means that it is the people who are members in the church or members in the church. And the reason why is this. The reason why is this is because, you know, the things that we hear in Titus chapter 2 seems to echo something that we do in the church kind of regularly, which is we make vows. We make vows. Particularly, we make baptismal vows. And what is a vow? Many of you are familiar with this? You know, when people get married, you the wedding vows. And vows are not flippant promises to one another. Vows in the church are meant to be a covenant between you and the church, between you and God, between you and the person in front of you, that this is my solemn promise. And every time a child is baptized in our church, the parents stand and they answer three questions. I don't know off the top of my head, but they are not answered. They, they, uh, they have three questions that are asked and they vow. Yes, we do. We do. We do. And then the pastor turns to the congregation, asks the, all the members to rise up. And then they ask this vow of the, all the members of the congregation. Do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of this child? And the congregation says, we do. This is why I'm proposing that older here means every single member because every single member has made this vow that we would help raise the children in the nourishment of the Lord, in the Christian nourishment of the Lord. Now, 
one food for thought and one application. And this is the food for thought. And uh, this is not, again, not meant to condemn, but to ask this question. You know, why is it that we do this? And the food for thought is this, is that, you know, why is it that parents with youth group age children, why is it that we send our children away during like church things, particularly CG? Why is it that we send our children away when that happens? Because are our children not part of the community? They might not be communicant members yet. They might not have made a profession of faith, but why is it that we send them away? And I don't think the answer is because we don't like them. I don't think that. I think it's because that was the way that many of us were raised. Our parents said, okay, the adults are doing CG. You guys go away now. If I could just propose, maybe even challenge some of the parents to say, you know, consider maybe keeping them with you at CG because after all, they heard the same sermon. They're able to speak the same language and they heard what we heard and they are part of our community. Now, some of the youth students who are hearing this are like, Dan, what are you doing, man? Like, I don't want to be there. And some of the parents might be thinking in that same way, like, Dan, you're naive. You don't know what you're talking about because you don't have teenagers. Like, these guys don't want to be there. And I agree. Like, I, I don't understand. But this is where the application comes in. The application is this. Friends, what if we all kept our vows? Right? What if we kept our vows? What if when the parents who are saying, my children don't want to be here, and the youth students don't want to be there. What if every single person in this church kept our vow? And when the youth students were saying, I don't want to be there, what if every single person in the church looked at our younger and said, we want you there? We want you there. We care about you. We love you. I know this sounds kind of idealistic and kind of crazy, but this idea that, hey, we made baptismal vows with these parents before God that we would help raise their children in the Christian nourishment of the Lord. What if we kept our vows? How would that change the way that the youth feel about the church? How would that change the way that people grow up in the church, the way that they see the people in the church? How would that affect the way long-term, right? So something to think about. How would that change the dynamics in our church? Friends, let's keep our vows, considering that we made them before the Lord, with the parents, with our children. Now, you might be thinking like, Dan, this is, this is a lot, man. Like, this is heavy. I'm barely crawling as a Christian, and you're telling me like supercharge your growth, supercharge maturity. You're telling me that I got to turn around, I got to teach these. I don't even like, this is overwhelming. It's too much. And I, it's too much. And to you friends, I say that is the best place to be. That is the best response to this. You might be wondering why, why, why is that? How is that the best response? And it brings us to our third point, how Jesus gives us grace for both, how Jesus gives us grace for our personal maturity, how Jesus gives us grace for our personal maturity because of the younger people around us. Again, how is, how is it a good thing that we feel this kind of weight, this kind of like overwhelming? And the reason why it's good news is because you have to understand where Paul is preaching, the context in which Paul and Titus are preaching. They're preaching to the Cretans in Crete. And the Cretans seem to have this self-awareness about themselves. The Cretans seem to understand something about themselves. And Paul writes about it in chapter 1. He says, look, a Cretan prophet, a Cretan prophet said about his own people that Cretans are lazy, gluttons, evil, evil beasts. He says the Cretans believe that to be true about themselves. And you can imagine Paul is telling these people, these Cretans who believe this about themselves, turn away from lawlessness. Turn away from that. Grow up, mature. And you can imagine the Cretans going like, Paul, this is us you're talking to. Come on, like that is, look, you're asking us too much. You're talking to us. 
And Paul says, yes, I'm talking to you. And in verse 11 to 14, Paul kind of gives the motivation. Why? Why do this? And he says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, training us to renounce ungodliness. And particularly in verse 14, we say, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession. And his own possession echoes the words in Exodus, where in Exodus, God calls Israel, you are my treasured possession. Everything in the world is mine, but you are my treasured possession. The Cretans say, Paul, it's us. And Paul turns to the Cretans and says, yes, it's you. You for whom Christ came. You for whom Christ gave his life. You for whom Christ gave himself so that he might call you his treasured possession in all the earth. That's who he's talking to. That's what the grace of God is. And you might be wondering, like, so what? Like, how does this impact the way I approach my personal maturity? How does this impact the, you know, our maturity for the sake of others, like how, or for the sake of the younger? How does it impact this? So what? And this is how, two ways. One is for our personal maturity. How does being declared God's treasured possession because of the, the living, the, the, live, the life and the death and the giving of Christ himself for us, how does that change that? It changes in two ways. Earlier, I kind of mentioned this. Is there is no just. You are not just. You are called to have the same quality of character as an elder. And here, the same thing happens, except it's not you are to have the same quality of an elder. He says, you are not just. You are not just a high school kid. You're not just a youth group kid. You're not just a college kid. You're not just a, there is no just. You are the treasured possession of God purchased by Christ himself. It gives you an infinite dignity. It gives you a high calling and it is incredible and it is life-giving. But at the same time, at the same time, you are not declared to be his treasured possession because you were good. You are not declared his treasured possession because you are amazing. Despite your sinfulness, despite your failures and your immaturity, he declared you to be his treasured possession, which means two things. One, again, you have a high calling. You have a dignity given to you, not because you earned it, but because of Christ. And at the same time, when you fail, you cannot lose it. You will never lack or stop being God's treasured possession. It means you are called to grow to infinite heights, but when you fail, when maturity feels like you're taking three steps back, God will never say, no more. You're not my treasured possession anymore. It gives us grace to fail and gives us grace to grow. Now, how does this impact the other part, the second part of the sermon, your personal maturity for the sake of others? How does, you know, being declared God's treasured possession, how does that impact that? It impacts this. When you understand, what did Jesus do? In many ways here, I'm not going to outline it all, but the pattern happens in exactly the way. Jesus Christ comes, he trains, and then he gives his life. His entire life is for other, is for us. He's the ancient one, the one who has been since, you know, who just what, always is and forever will be. He comes, he trains, he teaches, he gives himself. In the same way we're called to do likewise. You know, I, I wonder, is it possible that perhaps some of the reason that we don't really want to engage the younger around us is because it is hard. Like, it really is hard. Like, to separate from your tribe. Like, these tribal things, these bonds are very difficult to break. Like, you're telling me that when there are 15 people that are all within your tribe, your age group, your demographic, and you're talking to them, and then one person comes who is outside of that tribe, who is younger, who has nothing to offer you, you're telling me that it's, you're gonna, you would easily break off from that tribe and go engage with them? I don't think so. It's 
extremely difficult. It causes a cause us to die to ourselves. It causes us to a, an incredible selflessness. And when we understand who Christ is and what he did in giving himself for us, it gives us the motivation to kick us out of our selfishness to go and love those around us, particularly the younger. Jesus gives his life for others. He lives his life for others. He lives his life for me. And he calls us to go and do likewise. Three points of application before we close. Three points of application. I think the first is this, and it's kind of a natural outworking of this, is that, friends, after Sunday is over, right? After Sunday is over, sometimes Sundays are a great breather, right? Like the week is over. We get to see some of our closest friends, and it's a great time. But I want to challenge every member with this is that after Sunday, instead of running back to what you're familiar with and your friends, I want to challenge that perhaps you might want to go and engage and talk to someone who is younger. Now, of course, the younger works in tears, right? Like if you're older, older, it's a buffet. Everybody is basically younger. But if you're, you know, like a young adult, then, you know, you're, it's, the option's a little bit more limited, right? It's like, you know, fine dining. Um, it's this idea that, you know, consider, right? Strongly consider, and not just today, but to make it a habit to say, hey, today after church, I'm going to try to engage someone that I don't know because they're not within my tribe, right? It's the first application. The second is this, is that, you know, CGs and Cornerstone work very interestingly. Earlier, I gave a demonstration or example or food for thought about youth group. And this, just to be clear, this is not about youth group. This is about every single demographic in the church, right? Every single younger demographic in the church. But our CGs work interesting in that on Sundays, it's dominated by parents. I'll get to why in a minute, or at least why I believe so in a minute. And then the weekdays is predominantly dominated by the singles and the young adults. And part of it is because I believe that on the weekends, you know, parents, their children have school the next day. And so going on a Thursday, having to come home, do homework, it's extremely difficult, extremely difficult. We removed the titles and then, you know, we said no longer are these, you know, the, the married CGs. But uh, what ended up happening is because of the same reasons, people kind of ended up kind of falling into the same ones. I'm not saying this is true across the board. But anyways, long-winded. This idea is that in the next iteration of CGs, in the fall, I want to challenge you for this. Please consider making an intentional decision about CG and which one you choose, right? Sundays are predominantly dominated by older married couples with children. And then weekdays are predominantly by singles, just again, by the nature of it. So I want to challenge you to this. I know it's going to be difficult. And if it's hard, maybe more practically, grab one or two friends and take them with you so you suffer together. You know, not suffer, but love together. Um, but this way, in doing this, right, we are able to spend extended time with those outside of our tribe. Extended time with those outside of our tribe so that we might live out the things that we heard here in Titus 2. You know, it would be amazing is if... Uh, all the singles and young adults ended up on Sunday, and if all the married with children ended up on Thursday, that'd be amazing. But uh, brings us to our third application, which is this, is that if you are older, I don't mean older, older, I just mean member, consider, right, consider hosting or consider just inviting over some of the younger. It doesn't have to be a full-blown meal. If for whatever reason a meal doesn't work, then ice cream, coffee, Whatever it is, right? Just to, because uh, I was talking to a parent, it was so, so funny. She was like, you know, I love, I love when I do long car rides with my kids because they're trapped. And I talk to them, whatever I want. And, you know, don't trap them, but, you know, but kind of trap them. But by doing that, by having this kind of intimate moment, extended time together is when we get to really know people, when we get to really care for people. 
not in a large group like CG, which can be difficult, but in an intimate setting, one-on-one, two-on-one, something like that, right? So I want to encourage the older to perhaps consider being hospitable to those younger around us that we might be able to get to know them and be able to live out the things in Titus chapter 2. Friends, our personal maturity is to me no different than the quality of the elders in our church. Our personal maturity matters because we are called to the younger people around us. And God gives us grace. He gives us grace to grow. He gives us grace to fail. And at the same time, God gives us grace to not focus so much on ourselves, not to think about selfish and how can I grow and how can I be with my tribe and be comfortable so that we might be able to live a life focused on others, particularly the younger. Let's pray.